Good morning and hello again today. Decision day on cocoon restrictions. We'll be hearing from the WHO. Also, the insights of an expert on older people's health. Ryanair warns of up to 3,000 layoffs between now and July. Brian reports on Gartha checkpoints on their, and their impact on the busy town of Kinsale. From tea bags to nappies and paint, how to save the planet one object at a time. Making space for COVID clusters at the Central Mental Hospital. Nicky Byrne of Westlife reveals his lockdown anthem on May Day, Aoife Barry and Brian Redden on what's worth watching this month and in our Friday gathering, Fine Gael's Colin Brophy, Green Deputy Leader Catherine Martin and Observers Lise Hand and Mark Paul dissect the week's big stories. Email today sor at rte.ie Text us on 51551 and you can also tweet at todaysor. Yesterday marked three months since the World Health Organisation officially declared the coronavirus, COVID-19 a global health emergency. Since then, 3.2 2 million cases have been confirmed across the world and more than 200,000 people have died. David Nabarro is the WHO's special envoy on COVID-19. He joins me now. Dr Nabarro, thank you indeed for joining us once more. Um, thank you, Sean. There was a meeting of the Emergency Committee of the WHO yesterday. It brought together, virtually needless to say, 15 health experts from around the world. What came out of that meeting, Dr Nabarro? Yes, well, uh, this was a, a very important meeting to take stock of where we are. And I must say that uh, it's very clear that the members of the Emergency Committee keep reminding us that this is a serious problem and that we've all got to make sure that every society everywhere is able to put up defences against continued spread of the virus. And they did ask that there was continued attention to the reality uh, that we are going to face this virus for some time to come. They also acknowledged that all the restrictions that are being put in place at the moment are really uh, having a very severe impact. And so uh, there was a, a, a recognition that we've got to find a way to balance the, the consequences of movement restrictions and physical distancing with, at the same time, the need to get on top of the virus. And uh, that, that what they're really saying all the time is that we've got to continue learning from each other. This is a completely new kind of phenomenon. The world hasn't had it before. So we've got to go on learning from each other as we move forward with the efforts to restart life, but with a new kind of normal uh, where we are actually able to not only live, but to have a good life whilst at the same time keeping the threat of this virus at bay and stopping it from overloading health services and causing, unfortunately, uh, quite large numbers of deaths. When you hear the British Prime Minister, as we did yesterday, Boris Johnson, saying that Britain has passed the peak of the coronavirus, what evidence would a country need to be able to take that view? So you're trying to all the time know where is the virus and what impact is it having? And you have to use a number of pieces of information to put together. It's like making a jigsaw puzzle to get an impression of what's going on. And yes, you want to know where the cases are and where they're being transmitted. And you want to try also to look at people going to hospital. And what I think Britain is saying is that they passed the peak of the coronavirus as it is now, uh, but through the movement restrictions that have been put in place. But they're also saying, and, and they say it quite clearly, that we need to be in a position not to have another flood of cases coming in as soon as restrictions are relaxed and then get a much worse situation with greater overload of health services and more deaths. And it's that balancing of the different options that each 
government is having to take into account. I was reading what the uh, Taoiseach said yesterday uh, in, in Ireland, and, and I was thinking he's got these five different factors that have to be taken into account, and none of those is simple. And that's why I think what I'm really appreciating this is that each head of government is trying to level with the people as to what the decisions are, because in the end, it's going to be people themselves that will have to work out how we go continue our lives with the threat of this virus amongst us. And, and at the heart of this is uh, uh, the Taoiseach's third point, testing and contact tracing capacity. In the end, the way in which we will defend ourselves against further outbreaks of this virus is through a combination of people themselves knowing when they might be sick and isolating themselves, and then the testing capacity to pick up who has the disease, coupled with the contact tracing that's so important. Getting these steps in place and getting all communities organised so that they themselves are, are better empowered to deal with this threat is the key action for the coming weeks and months. The the government here, and you mentioned the Taoiseach, uh, Mr. Varadkar, and indeed the chief medical officer have been very careful in recent days not to raise people's expectations. In fact, quite the reverse in regard to an easing of the restrictions. But we're hearing increasingly that you know there is a case for having some limited easing of those restrictions, particularly for in the case of people who are over 70, they're cocooned, they're in good health. Let them get out and get some exercise. Let them have a walk. It would be good for their mental and physical health. Yeah, and that's exactly the kind of issue that I noticed that uh, Dr. Bradker and Dr. Hollihan and Dr. Glynn were talking about yesterday. And, and I quite understand it because you cannot ask people to be socially isolated. As I look forward, uh, as somebody who's 70, I'm aware that I'm in the risk group. I'm thinking, yes, I want to be able to see my family, I want my children and my grandchildren. And I do want to be able to get out. But at the same time, I've got to be careful that I'm not accidentally up close to somebody who's got the COVID. They may not know that they've got it. They may only have a mild illness. And so uh, they could accidentally infect me. And then I could end up getting to big trouble and, and have to go to hospital and fight for my life. So we want to be able, us older people, to connect. And we don't want to be cocooned up for a long time to come. But at the same time, we don't want to be putting ourselves at risk. And that's where ingenuity really comes in. Thinking through all of us, what does this mean for us as we go about our lives, as we connect with other people? And how can we make certain that we are able to do what we want to do and able to work as we need to do, whilst at the same time protecting those who might be at risk? I'm, I'm not answering your question, Sean. I'm sorry about that. But there's a reason for not answering it direct, because each of us has to make sense of it. Each of our governments have to be able to talk to other governments. What are your experiences? What are you finding? Because there's so many different pieces on the in the jigsaw. And then uh, over time, we will get used to it. And we will go back to really full lives. We will go back to watching football. We will go back to being able to go to the pub and all those other things that we love to do. But we will have to work out with, our, with each other, with our families, with our friends, how we're going to do this while staying safe. Talking about international cooperation, uh, the head of the UN, uh, Mr Gutierrez, has been bemoaning, in fact, quite critical of the lack of cooperation at the highest level between governments. Do you agree with him? Well, I'm, I'm careful about the language because there is really good cooperation between the technical people 
That's the health officers, the chief medical officer in the Ireland case, and the officers in charge of all the efforts to work out how to deal with this. Everybody wants to talk to everybody else. They want to be able to share what they are feeling, what they're seeing, what they're suspecting, and they need to do that in an, in an atmosphere of trust and an atmosphere also of mutual respect. And that technical cooperation, if that's the okay word to use for your listeners, is really strong. I've never felt it so good. I think all of us who are working in public health know that we owe it to the people for whom we're responsible to keep the conversation going. But then it gets much harder because there's also a political overlay between governments. And, and, and that, that overlay creates a bit of suspicion. It, it makes it much yes. harder for the technical people to be open. And your, your title is uh, Special Envoy on COVID-19, which suggests that you have yeah. to be diplomatic about certain things. Yes, but interestingly, uh, Sky News reporting yesterday that your colleague, the WHO representative in China, uh, saying that uh, China has refused repeated requests by the World Health Organization to take part in investigations into the origins of COVID-19. Yes. Well... Here's the way in which I would like people to look at this. At every time we get a report of an infection breaking out, it's always a delicate balance between what the country tells the WHO and what the WHO then is able to do with regard to the country in terms of investigations. And I, I do quite understand that there is a really delicate area here about the start of, of, of this particular pandemic. And my own request to everybody is that we get on with dealing with the current crisis as it stands at the moment. We use every single capacity we have at our control on the science side, as well as sharing experience, as well as understanding the reality of what's happening to people in their daily lives. And we work on that as a collective of everybody in the world. And we try just for the moment to, to, to recognise that all this other work about the detective going and investigating what happened at the beginning yeah. or investigations WHO, put that off till later. Well, let's get on with the job we have to do yeah, now. Yeah, but a line has just come into our newswire saying that the WHO wants an invite to take part in China's virus probe. Now, why have you not received one yet? And, and if you don't get one, what happens then? We work in the World Health Organization under the mandate of a treaty that was agreed between nations in 2005 it's called the Revised International Health Regulations. That sets out what countries are expected to do and what responsibilities they have and what role the World Health Organization Secretariat has in trying to make sense of what's happening around the world. But inside that is, is a very clear statement that there is sovereignty over what happens in a country uh, that rests with the government itself. The WHO is not a global inspection agency. It's an organisation that functions within the space that's given to it by governments. So, of course, the Chinese will want to be sure that the way in which the investigations are done are, 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 uh, is a way that takes account of the Chinese yeah. sensibilities as well as the rest of the world. And I understand that and I, I, I appreciate it's going to take some negotiation to establish the terms of any subsequent working between the WHO Secretariat and any member state government. And you will be aware, Dr Navarro, that the US President Donald Trump put his oar into these exchanges last evening in um, a fairly direct way. Let's hear some of what he had to say. Yes, I have. 
Yes, I have. And what gives you a high degree of confidence that this originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? I can't tell you that. I'm not allowed to tell you that. Do you think that withholding information about the virus is related to them trying to undermine your reelection? I don't want to put any, uh, cast any dispersions. I just will tell you that China would like to see uh, sleepy Joe Biden. They would take this country for a ride like you've never seen before. So that's uh, Donald Trump speaking in the White House last evening. Um, what do you make of his suggestion that he has seen evidence that the new coronavirus originated in a lab? Well, I personally don't have access to the evidence that was being quoted, and I don't think the World Health Organization has access to this kind of evidence. We work on the information that's given to us by our members. That's the 194 countries around the world. And within that information, we then try to assess what we know and what we can judge. And and that's the the rules of the game, and Sean, and and it applies to every single country. You know, there's not the capacity for WHO to suddenly decide it wants to go and investigate what's happening in any specific uh, situation. We do have to navigate with the countries. That's the rule book that we work under. And we're not going to be able to change that uh, unless the member states, that includes the US and and other countries, uh, will give us a, a new set of of principles under which we work that's agreed between countries. And then, of course, we will do what we're asked to do. Uh, I mean, this is how international relations work. And we have to do our best within the context we have. And and I actually personally feel that between professionals who are working on this, we have extraordinary cooperation. I'd like to say that to everybody in Ireland. You know, we work together and we're working for the good of the health of everybody in the world. And we'll go on doing that. We're not going to stop. Yes, um, and, and it's good to know that that's there. And as you, you alluded to at the outset, uh, the Taoiseach outlined five uh, points as being the criteria, progress of the disease, healthcare capacity and resilience, testing and contact tracing capacity, ability to shield and care for the at-risk groups, and then the risk of secondary morbidity due to the restrictions themselves. Um, but you, you, you've emphasised as well, um, in particular, the, the, the testing capability. Now, the objective yeah. here is 100,000 tests uh, per week. Um, we're a bit shy of that. I think we're about uh, two thirds of the way there at the present time. Um, would we need to be actually at the 100,000 a week, in your view, before there could be uh, significant uh, easing of the, the restrictions? Well, for me, the absolute necessity is that people everywhere throughout Ireland have a really good understanding of this disease, how it appears, and then what they have to do when they get the signs of it. Because in the end, it is up to us, the people, to work out how to live with it as a a threat. Testing and contact tracing are very important parts of that. It's a part of a broader comprehensive response that the teacher talked about. And I personally don't want to say there's a particular level of testing that suddenly means you move from red to green. This is something that has to be built up, it has to be done properly. And once we've got that testing in place to the level that the government is happy about, once there's the contract tracing capacity there, that gives a lot more assurance to people that they know where the virus is and they know how to behave. And the R number, of course, is important as well. I think we're somewhere between yes. 0.5 and 0.8 in this country. Uh, there is that, that, that gap. Um, that presumably is another key element. Exactly. Now, the R number, everybody, is the number of people who one person with the disease infects while they have the disease. And if that number is less than one, then basically your number of new cases reduces. The reduction is is either 
fast if your R number is very low or it slows down if your R number is approaching one. And I do feel that the lockdown has been clearly very successful in slowing the rate at which the disease is spreading. And we really want to encourage everybody to keep it there in the knowledge that there will be occasional resurgences, as we've seen in other countries. But if you get the resurgences, provided you respond really quickly, then you don't end up with overloaded health services and a lot of death. And it's that skill to be able to keep the capacity to hold the virus at bay that's going to be the skill that all of us will have as we move forward in the coming weeks. Have we learned any more or much more about this virus in recent weeks as a result of that intense cooperation among the experts that you talked about that might give us some idea how this is all going to evolve in the, in the months ahead? Yeah, well, I do think that we know much more about how outbreaks build up. We still have a few questions. Do people actually have COVID with no symptoms? And if they have COVID with no symptoms, are they capable of transmitting it to other people so that these other people get ill? This key question about how many people in our populations are actually transmitting COVID without symptoms is one that we continue to explore. And that's where having more widespread testing is proving to be really helpful. Obviously, if people have COVID without symptoms, it does make managing the spread of the virus a little bit more difficult. And that will then lead us to have a better understanding of who might be symptomless carriers and be able to work with them. Last point, we've learned a lot about the susceptibility of older people and people with other diseases and some of the rules that have to be put in place to protect older people. And lastly, we are learning more about how it might be possible to treat this virus Mostly we're getting the early stages of results of trials. They're not yet definitive, but that's coming through. And that's going to make a lot of difference when yes. we get all more information on yeah, that. Yeah, Dr. Fauci in the United States, Tony Fauci, was quite um, upbeat about one particular trial. But look, before I let yeah. you go, um, yeah. and we talked about older people for obvious reasons, can we say any more at this point? Uh, are we any more insightful about children and COVID-19? Are they vectors? Are they spreaders? Yeah, that, um, again, gosh, Sean, I'm so sorry to say there are things that we're still trying to work through. What we're getting is information suggesting that children don't seem to get ill as a result of COVID, anything like older people. Uh, of course, there are one or two, but, but not lots and lots and lots. But we are now getting evidence that perhaps there are situations in which children are having a virus without uh, necessarily being ill. That needs more work. And, and we need to be able to do that work whilst at the same time we're getting on with releasing lockdowns while we're dealing with all the political noise that's around what we're doing. And I, I can assure you that we're not losing any, any, any effort. We're not, sorry, um, um, we're doing everything we possibly can to get answers to these questions because it's those answers that will really make such a difference to what life is going to be like uh, living with the threat. You may be aware that uh, we're just heading into a public holiday weekend, uh, no work on Monday. Uh, do you have any advice or warning for people who might be tempted maybe to try to make a break for their holiday homes, uh, particularly with the weather uh, being on the, on the favourable side? I really don't like giving people instructions, especially because I have no authority. Uh, this is for the national government. But I am just asking everybody to use the time to think through what does living with this virus mean for me, for my family, for where I work, for how I socialise, so that we're each coming to terms with this new reality. 
It's not comfortable at the beginning, and many people find it scary. But I am also hearing more and more stories of people everywhere saying, OK, just like we had to change the ways in which we uh, have intimate relations when it was discovered that HIV causes AIDS, and that was a big shift and it was a tricky one for some people, so we're going to have to come to terms with new behaviours that are called for as a result of this virus. I have huge confidence in the capacity of humanity, of the total human race, to make this shift and to became, become confident and able to live with the threat. Uh, and I'm absolutely certain that this applies to the people of Ireland and the people of other European countries. We'll be able to actually get ahead of this virus. We've got the ingenuity to do so. And working together, as the Taoiseach said yesterday, that's what we're going to do. David Nabarro, thank you very much indeed for joining us. David Nabarro there, the World Health Organization's Special Envoy on COVID-19. By the way, as part of RTE's COVID arrangements, we're coming to you today from Croke Park. That's in case the radio centre in Donnybrook has to be vacated at any stage. We will need alternative bases from which to broadcast. So here I am tucked in in the media centre high up in the Hogan stand. And yes, I did take a look out earlier. And there was a guy down there, way down there, mowing the pitch. I could say lovingly, certainly with serious concentration, because it looks absolutely magnificent. Anyway, sincere thanks to our good friends in the GAA for facilitating us here. We'll take a quick break.